Good morning, Vox. How y'all doing today? I mean, that's okay if it was like 8 a.m., but it's like practically 10 o'clock now. How are y'all doing? You doing all right? Or 11 o'clock? Man, it's so good to be with you. How many of you guys were with us last night? Let me see your hand if you were with us last night. Okay, wasn't it? It's so good. The word that, that Kim brought and the worship experience was unbelievable. I, I, while Kim was speaking, I looked at my wife and I'm like, she's preaching to me. Like, she's preaching to me right now. This is so good. How many of you guys, this is your first session? You just got in this morning. Make some noise. You're like, man, we're here. Okay, well, we're so glad that you guys are here. We're so glad that you're here. But one thing I want to do as we kick off this morning is I want to invite you into an activation before we even get into the message and get into the word that I'll be speaking today. And I want to invite you to quietly stand to your feet with me just one time. Just real quietly stand to your feet. And throughout this day today, you're going to hear different speakers that are going to be on this stage and they're going to be preaching to you the word of God. And that word of God is going to go forth and it's going to accomplish what it's sent out to do. But one of the things I found in my life is I've gone to conferences. I grew up in a Christian home. I, go, I went to conferences my whole life, events and conferences and all that. But one of the things I found is that at those conferences, while God spoke through so many people, some of the greatest transformation in my life actually came not from what somebody else said, but from what I said with my own mouth. Because some of the things that are going to happen in your life are going to happen because somebody else speaks a word into you. Other things are going to activate God to act on your behalf because of what you speak to him. And so this morning, you might be here, you might be here, and you might not even be a believer, a follower in Jesus. And I want you to know if that's the case, you're so welcome here. This conference isn't just for believers, but I'm telling you this, like, we're not going to hold anything back from calling you into the fullness for which you were created, which is in Jesus. And so I want you to know that you might not have ever prayed a prayer in your life. You might be a person that's in the prayer room every day. But right now, I'm going to challenge you to, be, to make the most honest prayer you can possibly make with your, the depths of your soul before God. That you would tell God right now the depths of what is going on in your heart. That you would tell him really, authentically, what you're longing for in your soul. That if there's things going on in your family, that you would cry out to him for your family right now. If there's breakthrough and bondage that's gripping your heart and you need breakthrough in your life, that you would ask him to bring the breakthrough today. Because you know what? I'm going to speak a word and I believe that God's going to do something in your heart. But I'm telling you right now that God's ear is tuned to your voice, just like you're going to be tuned to the speakers. And he wants to hear you speak to him right now. And he wants to respond to hearts that cry out to him. So before I get into a word uh, that God's given me, I want you to give him a word that comes from you. And so I'm going to invite you, uh, no matter who, what background you come from or anything like that, just to do this. So open your hands, just to posture yourself right here. And it's this, this posture of exchange. We're saying, God, I'm giving something to you and I want to receive something in return. And so right now I'm going to challenge you under the, the quiet of your voice, just silently to begin to start speaking very, very quietly, not silently, out loud, but quietly to begin to be honest and real with God, sharing with him what's going on in your heart and what you want him to do in your life this weekend. So right now, with your own voice, you might not have ever prayed a prayer in your whole life and you might be so scared. I wanna challenge you to rise up with bravery and with courage and to make your voice known before God. He hears your voice right now. So let's, let's cry out to him. Lord, we need you to move today. Jesus, we came for you today. Jesus, we're here for you today. We're not here for Brandon. We're not here for Lindy. We're not here for Brian. We're not here for Todd. We're here for you, Jesus. And we want you to do a work in our life, God. And we know that you're going to bring the word through the men and women of God that you've, you've spoken to, God, a word to. But Lord, we want you to know that there's things in our hearts that we need you to do. There's things in our heart that we need to surrender that have kept us bound, Lord, and we need your help. And so right now, Jesus, we make our request known to you, Jesus, and we ask that you would move in our life right now. We pray for freedom over families in Jesus' name. God, we pray for freedom over addiction. We speak to suicide and we command it to go in Jesus' name. And we ask that the life of God would come into this room. Jesus, we love you. And right now we fix our attention on you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen, go ahead and have a seat, guys. Go ahead and have a seat. And right from the beginning of today's talks, I want to challenge you. And again, from my experience, like I said, I've gone to a lot of conferences and events in my life. And one of the things I find is that God seems to move more in my life when I remove distractions. And I want to challenge you that, that before we even get started today, I want you to think about the different distractions that could come against you today. The distraction of friends that just want to clown around when you're trying to get real with Jesus. 
the distraction of trying to find that new boo thing that looks pretty good in the back row that you saw walking in through registration. Hey, girl, what's up? Right? That you remove that from your mind. And right now that you fix your attention on Jesus. That for one day this year, this day right now, you would say, Jesus, I'm simply here for you. I'm not trying to find my wife today. I'm not trying to find my husband today. Lord, I'm not trying to get 50 more followers on Instagram today. Jesus, I'm here for you. And in fact, here's the deal. Here's the deal. It is fully possible to Je- for Jesus to be in a house and for Jesus to be moving and you to miss it while the people around you experience it. It happened in Luke chapter 10. There was this family, a family name, uh, I don't know their last name, the family of Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. I was about to say their last name. They don't have a last name. I don't know their last name. But they have Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, and they invite Jesus into their house. And it says that Mary goes and sits at the feet of Jesus to learn of, uh, uh, from him. But it says that Martha was distracted by many things. And she comes to Jesus and she's like, Jesus, like, don't you care about me? Like, I'm doing all the work by myself and my sister is just chilling with you. And she was, just, she was super hurt. Like, she was super hurt. And Jesus looked at her and he goes, Martha, Martha. And when Jesus says your name twice, that's like your mom saying your first name and your middle name. Like, he means it. Like, like it's one thing to be like, Brandon, go clean your room. Brandon Talbot, you better, oh, okay, mama. <laughs> Ooh, my heart stopped. Okay, I'm going, right? When he says your name twice, and he said it twice, he said, Martha, Martha. He said, you're distracted by many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen the good portion and it will not be taken away from her. And one of the things that's crazy about that is it shows right there when Mary went to Jesus' feet, what she was doing is she was declaring herself a disciple of Jesus. And that is absolutely crazy because at that time, girls didn't do that. Girls weren't welcome to come and sit at the feet of a teacher and declare themselves a disciple. But that just shows that Jesus is willing to welcome anyone who has a heart that desires him. And so at that moment right now, I just want you to know at this moment, in the same way that Jesus did at that moment, he welcomes anyone who desires to come to him. And so you might have come in this morning with junk in your life, but I want you to know that Jesus welcomes you to come close. Jesus isn't keeping you away. Jesus isn't saying, hey, go take care of your junk and then you can come to me. No, he's not doing that. Jesus is welcoming you to come. And the most shocking thing besides that he welcomed Mary, which he shouldn't have because she was a girl, The other shocking thing is that Martha invited Jesus into her house and completely missed everything he wanted to do in her life. She was in his house, he was in her house and she missed it. You guys don't miss it. It says she missed it because she was distracted by much serving. Don't miss what Jesus has for you today. Set your eyes on Jesus today. Get rid of the distractions. How many of you guys have ever like been invited on a date and the whole time you're there, the girl's just swiping on her phone and you're like, girl, you better pick Siri or me, but this, we can't, this dual relationship can't work. You better get off that phone. Or how many of you have been up at night and you've, you've been sitting there playing video games when it was final season, you flunked the final cause you were up playing video games cause you got distracted. Amen. Uh, you got distracted. You got distracted. It's the same thing when you come to, to a conference like this. It's possible to show up in a place where Jesus is moving and miss it because you're more concerned about your Instagram post than you are about Jesus changing your life. And so I want to challenge you today not to miss it because our generation, Kim talked about this last night. She talks about us building our own towers. It's so possible to get caught up in social media, think you have a social media ministry. Man, your ministry ain't social media. (laughs) Just because it's a platform doesn't mean it's your ministry. Man... God has something for you today. Don't get caught up. Go letting other people experience what Jesus is doing and you miss it yourself. That's all I'm going to say. Let's get into this, okay? So before we get started, you should know something about me. You should know something about me. First of all, I'm not from Los Angeles. I'm originally from Akron, Ohio, which is the birthplace of the one and only LeBron James. Also, the marble was created there, but that's not important. LeBron James was born there, and I moved to LA first, and about six months later, LeBron came. I take credit. I feel like he couldn't live without me in Akron. He came here, so all of you Lakers fans... You're welcome. You're welcome. I I take credit for this. I take credit for this. We're getting that championship this year. We didn't make the playoffs last year. We're getting that championship this year. Anthony Davis, the Lord provides. Okay. The the second thing you need to know about me, second thing you need to know is that I got married to the beautiful lady, the, the woman of God that fears the Lord, loves people, Janelle, who introduced me. I got married to her, right? Right, right. When I was 32 years old. For, the, for, those of you, for those of you who are doing the math, that is 81 in Christian years, 81. I was practically, we were like Abraham and Sarah at the altar. We were like, Lord, we were like, <laughs> Christians be getting married so young, man. If you're over 25, they're like, 
You're going to wilt away in the plan of the Lord. You're gonna, the gift of celibacy, the gift of singing. You better chill out. I got the gift of waiting. You better chill. <laughs> and the other thing you need to know, the other thing you need to know about me and my wife is uh, the way we met. I met my wife serving at a Christian event. Like I went and I volunteered and I served and that's how we met. So if you're wondering, the, the volunteer booths in the back, feel free to go sign up. Uh, who knows, maybe VoxCom is your year. VoxCom is your year. Uh, <laughs> but, but today, guys, I want to bring you a word that's, that's been in my heart for, for quite a while. Several years ago, I was uh, asked to speak at a youth event in Cleveland, Ohio, and uh, I was talking to Jesus one day about it, and I was saying, Jesus, what do you want me to tell the students that are going to be at this event? And the Lord laid on my heart just one name, and it caught me off guard because I never thought to preach about this person before. And the Lord speaks to me, and he says, Brandon, I want you to preach about Judas. Now, for those of you who don't know who Judas is, maybe you don't come from a church background, that's okay. Like I said, everybody's welcome here. We're so glad you're here. But if you don't know about Judas, Judas was one of the original OGs, like the original, well, ODs actually, original disciples of Jesus. He was one of the original, original disciples of Jesus that this man rolled with Jesus. But he's also the guy that turned away from Jesus and he betrayed Jesus, which, which led to his crucifixion. So when, so when the Lord lays on my heart that I'm supposed to talk about Judas, I'm sitting there and I'm super confused. I'm like, Lord, what do you want me to say? Like, don't be the greatest hater of all time. I don't know what to preach. Like, this seems pretty straightforward. Like, don't be like Judas, let's pray. Like, that's a good message, right? Like, that's it. And, I, and I'm like, Lord, I can't unpack. I don't know what to do. But then I started to dive into scripture because I knew the Lord was telling me, preach on Judas, preach on Judas. And I'm like, Lord, I don't know what to say. And so I started diving into the word and I found that there's this one instance in scripture that as Christians, we celebrate as this amazing act of worship. There's a lady named Mary of Bethany. I just talked about her a minute ago, the one who knelt down and sat at the feet of Jesus that Jesus welcomed, the sister of Martha and Lazarus. And there's this instance in the gospels. It's actually recorded in three different gospels, three different gospel accounts. This is a big deal, like a super big deal. One gospel account talks about it twice. One time in John, in John 11, he brings up what Mary did before he even tells the story of what Mary did in John chapter 12. This is a big deal. In this act of worship, Mary goes at the feet of Jesus and just like she knelt down before, just like she knelt down before to learn from him, in this instance, she kneels down again and she takes out the most valuable thing she had in her possession at that time. She takes out a bottle of perfume that was valued at a year's worth of wages. Now, I want you to think about this for a second. I want you to think about going and working a job for one year. Okay, I, I used to work at a, at a, uh, <laughs> at a Mexican restaurant. Well, oh, I don't want to offend anybody. There's some real Hispanics in the house. I used to work at an Americanized Mexican establishment that has a little pepper, rhymes with hipote. Okay, right? I, yeah, I used to work there. And it, <laughs> and it, it was... Okay, now I'm not, I'm not bashing this company, great company. I hated it. It was the worst job of my life. I'm back there on that grill just sweating bullets. I'm like, Lord, you've got me in hell right now. I hate this, Lord. I, I'm going through the fire, but I'm coming out stronger and I'm coming out as soon as I can. I hate this. And I'm sitting there, I hated it. Guys, I can't express enough. I will go to bed the night before and I would just be like, Jesus, do you love me? Like, I don't want to get up for work tomorrow. Like, I was seriously having anxiety attacks. I hated it so much. And I can't imagine working a year of my life at this terrible, terrible restaurant that has great food. But I hate, I couldn't imagine working there a year of my life to take all of the wages I own and buy what Mary had, which was one little bottle of perfume. And she takes this bottle of perfume and she goes to Jesus. It was a pound, so it was actually a little bigger than I said, or it was just very heavy perfume. I don't know. But it was a pound of perfume. And she kneels down at the feet of Jesus. She breaks it open and she pours the perfume on the feet of Jesus and on his head and she wipes, wipes his feet with her hair. This is unbelievable that a woman would take a year of her life. Some people actually say that this was her inheritance. You never hear about her, her parents in the Bible and they say that her parents probably passed away and they left this for her. This is her safety net. This is what she has to go back on. This is a year's worth of money and she takes it, she breaks it and she pours it on the feet of Jesus. Like, it's insane. And it says that when she did this, the whole place was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. That you couldn't be in a corner of this building without smelling the sense of worship. That it was overwhelming. 
But in the midst of this act, each of the three gospels that talk about this story, they start to unpack the hearts of the people around Mary. In one of the gospel accounts, it starts at a broad view, and it said some people who were there started to criticize her because they said that this could be sold and the money given to the poor. And then another gospel account zooms in a little bit. So you're looking at this big picture, and it zooms in a little bit more, and it shows the disciples. And it says, and the disciples complained, and they said that this perfume could have been sold and the money given to the poor. But then John goes a little more in depth. He zooms in a little more into the face of one man. So imagine that, this picture that just zooms in into one person's face. And he says this, in Judas, when I saw that, I'm like, okay, God, I think you might be saying something if you want me to talk about Jesus. He said, and Judas spoke up and he said, why, Jesus, why'd you let this happen? This money or this perfume could have been sold for, for years worth of, money, of wages and the money given to the poor. But then John goes to the motives of Judas, Judas's heart. And he says, but Judas didn't say this because he cared about the poor. Judas said this because he was a thief and he used to help himself to the money in the money bag. There's trouble in the church, folks. There's trouble in the church. People stealing from the offering, right? So Judas, Judas, in the midst of this act of worship, in this act of worship, get this, don't miss this. In this act of worship, as Mary is pouring out perfume in worship and pouring out perfume, all Judas sees is money pouring through his fingers. And he's offended. And he speaks up thinking that Jesus will defend his offense. That he'll be like, you're right, Judas. That should have been sold in the money given to the poor. But Jesus didn't do that. Jesus didn't do that. Isn't it funny how Jesus is never offended by the extravagance of other people's worship, but we are? Like, isn't that, isn't that interesting? I think it's interesting. You can tell where your heart is when you find that some other person's worship offends you. And, and I know for me, that happened in my heart. I was at this conference one time, and I'm sitting there worshiping, and I got my hands raised, but I knew my heart wasn't in a good place, and I'm, I'm raising my hands, and I'm worshiping, and I look to the right, and this girl's doing backflips and somersaults, and she's like going in, like she's got like two legs raised, two hands raised, spinning around, and I'm sitting there, and I'm like, just, I'm just like, you love Jesus too much, like, girl, no, like just don't, like you're distracting me. It's like, no, she wasn't distracting me. My heart was already distracted, and her, her worship was offending me. And so you see this with Judas, and at this moment with Judas, at this moment with Judas, what he does is he doesn't change his heart. One of the other gospel accounts, not John, but one of the other ones, after they tell this story, the very next verse, it says this, and jo uh, Judas went away to the officials and said this, how much are you willing to give me if I hand him over to you? Because so, I think some of us think that Judas one day just got possessed by the devil and was like, I'm just going to go do something terrible, like horror movie style. But that didn't happen. The stronghold and the foothold in Judas's life wasn't the devil. It was double-mindedness. And the devil used his double-mindedness, his love for money and his love for Jesus. He used his love for money to offend him and take him away from the Lord. And the day that Jesus cut him off from his sin was the day that Judas went to something else to give him what he really wanted. And he traded in Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. And so in our life, guys, I, I, I'm, here, I'm here to get real. I know you're like, oh, it's the morning, this is heavy. Yeah, I, I get it, I, like, I totally get it, but, but I, I, I need to make sure that our hearts are in a posture to receive from Jesus today. Because here's the deal, you, you can experience God and be in the presence of God and still hold on to other loves in your heart. Like that can happen. And today, I, I'm calling for our generation to go all in with Jesus. Jesus called for us to go all in with God. I want you to understand this, that you were designed by God to love him with all your heart, soul, minds, and strength. That's how you were designed. When Jesus gave you the command that you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength, he wasn't giving a suggestion. He was explaining how you were designed. He was saying that you're designed to love him with everything. And if you don't love him with everything, your life will be torn apart because you weren't designed to be double-hearted, loving Jesus and loving something else. That's not the design of God. Your design is to be wholehearted. And many people wonder why the relationship with God doesn't work. They're like, man, I, I gave my life to Jesus, but it's just not working. That would be like me saying, I gave my life to my wife, but I have three girlfriends on the side, but my marriage just isn't working. <laughs> Baby, you're my only one. That was just an example. That ain't true, girl. That ain't true. <laughs> and so I want to challenge us today to get real about this in our lives. 
Because I truly believe that God is raising up a generation to stand for him. Right now, there's a stirring in the nations. There's a stirring in our nation where everybody is standing up and speaking out for the thing that defines their life. The Republicans are speaking out. The Democrats are speaking out. The people of color and ethnic minorities are speaking out. The women are rising up. Yeah, there it is. Yeah, the women are rising up. But what's funny is that there's a small remnant of the church that's rising up as well, but it seems like the majority aren't rising at all. They're living passive lives and turning away from God. And for me, I can't sit here and let that happen. I can't sit here and act like everything's okay when people who love Jesus for their whole life have turned away because of petty offenses because they never went all in with God. Like that can't happen. That won't happen here. And there's some things that are stealing the heart of our generation. I already talked about one of them. It was distraction. And today I'm calling for you to break up with distraction. And stop excusing your addictions to things that are taking you away from Jesus. I, 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 I really, I love you. Please know that I love you. Like I really do, but I have to be super blunt in my love. I need to understand this. For thousands and thousands of years, the world turned without Facebook and Instagram. Like the work of God went forward without the social media platforms to build our fame. I'm calling for you to take the time that you're investing on things like Martha, on things that didn't matter. I'm calling for you to take the the time that you're investing on things that aren't eternal, that don't matter, and to invest them into intimacy with Jesus, to break up with distraction and go after him. And the second thing that we see from this story that I just shared of Mary, of Bethany and Judas is I'm calling for you to reject and to break up with the trap of double-mindedness. Several years back, I was at a youth event and I probably needed a drink of water there too and I'm gonna take one now (laughs) in an awkward, you can never do it, not awkward. I I appreciate speakers who can't, I can't. One thing you could do to make, yeah, thank you, Brian. One thing you could do to make it less awkward, just move the mic away so nobody hears like, you know, it's weird. Okay, <laughs> so a few years ago, I was speaking at, at, a, at a youth event, and afterwards, one of the leaders, I was praying for one of the leaders who was there helping, and the Lord gave me a vision as I was praying for him. And in this vision, this guy was walking hand in hand with Jesus. It was like a mountain path, if you will. And they're walking along this mountain hand in hand, just so full of joy, so full of pleasure. He was loving being with the Lord. But as they started to walk, he looked off to his left, and, and he saw a water well. I don't know if any of you have ever been to Disneyland. We're in Anaheim, California, the home of the Rock Church and Disneyland, and the Rock first and then Disneyland. And so we looked over here, and he sees this water well, kind of like outside of the palace at Disneyland, where you throw your, like, wishing things, and that's just a Disney ploy to get more money. They're always trying to get more money. Uh, But you have this well there, right? You have this well. And he's walking, and, and he looks back at the well, and the well represents sexual pleasure. And he's walking hand in hand with Jesus, and he looks back, and he... And then he looks at Jesus and he's like, Jesus, where are we, where are we going? Like, I, I, I want that. Like, I, I want that well. And Jesus just keeps walking. And all of a sudden, he starts to let go of the hand of God. And he looks at Jesus and then he looks at this well of sexual pleasure and he looks at Jesus and he looks at the well. And he's like, Jesus, I want you, but I, but I want that. I want you and I want that. And I, and I gave the guy this word, I gave him this vision. And I left and I was driving home that night and the Lord spoke to me and he said, Brandon, that's you too. Ouch. He said, that's you too, Brandon. He said, you're walking with me and you're hand in hand with me. But all of a sudden, these things in life are starting to pass you by. Like I said, I didn't get married till I was 32. It's not that I didn't want to get married till I was 32. I just didn't get married till I was 32. I would have got married when I was 23. Flip that, you know? Like... But I'm walking with Jesus at this time, and in this time I was single. And I've been single for a long time. And I was leading a ministry where people who were younger than me were already married. In fact, the two oldest of us in the ministry were the only ones who were single. Like, it's super messed up. We were just like, bless you in your marriage, bless you in your marriage. Let's go eat ice cream and cry, right? That's how it felt. <laughs> and, so, and so I was in singleness, and it was hard, and it was a journey of faith with Jesus to trust him. Because it's one thing to trust Jesus when you got options, like when you're single, but you're like, I could date her, 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 her. They're all great options. Like, right, and you're single and you're like, but I got faith for them, you're right? It's easy to do that. But when you look around and you're like, there ain't anybody in Africa know how to date. Like, there ain't, there ain't nobody here. And then you go to Africa and you're like, they ain't here either. Like, then you go to Asia and you're like, 
Like, are they on the Mars? Am I signing up for a SpaceX mission to find my wife? Like, I don't know where they are. Like, this is crazy. And so I was walking with Jesus hand in hand. And Jesus was showing me that, Brandon, you're starting to let go of me because you're fearful that you're going to miss out on these other parts of life. He said, you're starting to go with me and you're looking out and you're seeing the well of sexual pleasure and you're thinking that it's going to pass you by and so you're letting go of my hand to go after this well. And in our culture, the well of sexual pleasure is the biggest well, man. It's not even a well anymore. They turned it into a hot tub party and like they got signs and they got models on the outside and they have dudes singing I'm sexy and I know it and outfits they should never be wearing. And like they got this party going on at the well of sexual pleasure and our whole world is going over here and celebrating life and they've made a city and there's buildings and there's movies and there's music and everything is revolving around this well. And all of a sudden I'm walking with Jesus and he's walking right by it and I'm like, Jesus, where are we going? I want to be married. Jesus, I want to have a family. Jesus, it's hard doing ministry and going to an event. And we, three kids show up and I go home and I'm like, well, I'm glad I put a month worth of planning into that one. You know, like I want a wife to kiss me on my face and say she believes in me. I want that in my life. You know, <laughs> I got that now. You know, <laughs> And so I want that. And so I started to let go of the hand of Jesus saying, Jesus, I want you, but I want that. And then we come to another well and the other well is the well of financial security. Where I'm like, Lord, you've called me into to missions work, Jesus. You've called me into missions. Lord, you called me into missions. But I don't have any money. <laughs> like, I'm a missionary. The I, I, only reason I got this shirt is because I'm a part of the team and we got a discount. You know what I'm saying? No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> no, the Lord provides. The Lord provides. But I'm like, Lord, like, I want to... Jesus, I want to be with you, but I also want financial security. Jesus, I thought your word promised that you would provide for me. Like, I thought you would give me money. I thought you would bless me financially. Why am I following? Like, where are we going? Why are we going this way? Why are we following in this direction? I want that in my life. And then we come to the well of dreams where God gives us dreams for our life and we start walking with Jesus and we watch as God doesn't release us into our calling and into our dream. And we're like, Jesus, where are we going? I'm supposed to be in Africa, not Akron. Jesus, where are we going? I'm supposed to be on this stage, not with three kids in the back of our church. Jesus, where are we going? You've given me a calling to the nations, but every door I try to walk through is closing. Jesus, I want to walk with you, but I want that too. And one of the interesting things in this mix of these, of these wells is that we start getting offended in our hearts. Because the temptation is that the temptation of the wells pulls us away but then when offense grips our hearts, it keeps us there. Because we start to get offended with God. And we start to say, Jesus, you aren't, you aren't good. You're not going to provide for me, so I'm going to go find a husband myself. Jesus, Jesus, you're not giving me children, Lord, so I, I don't think you're a good God anymore. Because I wanted those children, and, and all we've had is miscarriages, and we've never had a child, and I can't believe that you're a good God anymore. And Jesus, I, I want financial security in my life, and you don't seem to be providing, so I'm going to go out, and I'm not going to trust you anymore. I'm going to do what I need to do to get mine. And Jesus, I have a dream for my life, and I want to go after that dream. I don't really want to follow your hand or your voice anymore. I just want my dream. And so we see a generation that's living in double-mindedness. They're stuck in this middle space between what they desire and where Jesus is leading. And they're stuck sitting going back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. Can you do that for a second? Look at the person on your right. Look at the person on your left. Just do it real quick. And now do it really quickly. Do it really fast. Do it really fast. Keep going until you're sick. No, I'm kidding. Go ahead and stop. Go ahead and stop. <laughs> but the funny thing about that is, is we can't live that way in the physical. We can't live going like this through life. It would drive us crazy and we would stumble and fall and we would be dissatisfied and we'd be just completely in anguish in our soul. But so many of us try to do that in the spirit where we're looking at Jesus and we're looking at other things. We're looking at Jesus, we're looking at other things and we're wa wondering why we're so dissatisfied with God. It's because you were never meant to look back and forth. You're meant to fix your gaze on Jesus and to walk with him. Now, I want you to remember the wells because we're going to take another journey into another story with Mary real quick. We're coming back to the wells, though, so don't forget. Will you remember? Cool. There's this other story that Mary went through with Jesus where she overcame distraction. She overcame double-mindedness. And there's another story where Mary and Martha called out for Jesus to show up and to heal their brother. 
And they sent a word to Jesus. Jesus couldn't be in their town those days because people were trying to kill him. And so he fled for his life because the people in that town were just crazy. <laughs> they were trying to stone him and kill him. They didn't believe in him. And so he went somewhere else. And while he was gone, Mary and Martha's brother Lazarus got sick. And they called out to Jesus. And they said, Jesus, the one that you love is sick. AKA, <laughs> come on back. <laughs> like, come heal him. Like, we've seen you heal people. We know you love us. We're good friends. Like, you need to come back to us. And it says this, that Jesus declared, he said that this sickness will not result and it will not end in death. It, it, it won't go to death. It won't, it won't end in death. But this is so that the Son of Man might be glorified, that God might be glorified through it. And then it said this, but Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. The Bible affirms his love. It says, and so he stayed two days longer where he was. Um... Uh, Jesus, uh, you love me, and I asked you to come and heal my brother, and, uh, and, and you're going to stay where you are? Um, so let me tell you something, right? right that, and that's how, it feels, like, that's how it feels. It's like that doesn't make sense. How is it that, Jesus, you love this man. You have the power to heal him. People call for you to come and help them, but you stay where you are, and you don't come and help him. In fact, Jesus stayed until Lazarus died. But didn't he promise that it wouldn't end in death? Like he promised it wouldn't end in death, but Lazarus does die. And I think some of the times in our journey with Jesus, there's things that happen in our lives that don't make sense. There's things that are happening that seem to contradict the nature and character of God. There's things that we struggle with or there's sin things and identity things and, and family things and all these things that we, we battle and we wrestle with and we think that it contradicts who Jesus is. Because for many of us, when we gave our lives to Jesus, we thought that that meant that life was gonna go exactly how we wanted it. It would be perfect. There wouldn't be trouble and everything was gonna be okay. But Jesus actually promised that in this life, you will have trouble. You will have persecution. You will have difficulty. And the invitation for us is to stay with him during the journey. Because apart from him, you would have had trouble anyway. Trouble doesn't go away because Jesus steps in. Hope comes because Jesus steps in. And so with this, so with this, I'm getting winded. I need to get in shape. With this, Jesus comes back to town. But I want you to imagine this. We see Jesus' picture of just chilling, but during this time, you can't imagine the agony that Mary and Martha must have been in. They were like, we called for him, and he didn't come. He didn't even send a word. We've seen him heal people by just saying, be healed. And he didn't heal him. What's going on? I thought he loved us. We told him the one that he loved. We thought he loved our brother. But he didn't come. The person I prayed for didn't get healed. My grandma ended up dying. My brother got addicted to drugs and I asked God to free him. Jesus, where are you? Jesus, where are you? But I want you to know that the promise that it would end in God's glory and would not result in death still stood regardless of what they saw. And so Jesus shows up on the scene and when he shows up on the scene, he finds that the very people that wanted to kill him, you know those haters? The very people that wanted to kill him were surrounding Mary and Martha and grieving with them. Isn't that funny when Jesus doesn't seem to show up and we get discouraged in our life? It seems like all the people who are against God, who think it's stupid that we follow Jesus, they seem to roll around and be like, well, now you should probably listen to me. Like, let's talk about why you shouldn't follow Jesus. Looks like he didn't show up for you this time. Girl, you just do what you want to do. Girl, you go after what you want to do. Don't be doing that church thing anymore. You just do what you want to do. Hey, smoke this. Sleep with her. Do this. That'll help. And sure enough, that's exactly what happened with Mary and Martha. That all these people that didn't even believe in Jesus started surrounding them, and they were found in a house of mourning filled with people of unbelief. And when our hearts get offended, that's what we do a lot of times, is we run away from Jesus, and our generation is doing this right now. They're running away from Jesus when things happen that they don't understand. And instead of remaining with Jesus, instead of going to Jesus, they run away and surround themselves by people who are of unbelief and in a house of mourning, feeling bad for themselves and making God to be a liar. And so this is exactly what happened. But Jesus still showed up, like he always does. And he shows up on the scene and he come, he's coming with love and he's coming with power and he's coming with wisdom. And Martha hears that he's there and Martha runs to Jesus in her brokenness and she falls down and she said, Jesus, 
Jesus, if you would have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. But I, even now I know that whatever you ask will be given to you. And Jesus said, Martha, your brother will live again. And Martha said, I know at the last day of the resurrection, my brother will live again. She was clinging on to the promise of the Bible. But what Jesus did is he shifted it and he said, Martha, you're clinging to the promise, but don't forget the one who gave the promise. He said, listen, 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 listen. This isn't empty theology. This isn't scripture that you hear from a stage. All of scripture points to Jesus. Jesus said you search and you read through the scripture thinking that in them you'll find life. But I'm here to tell you that you're searching the scripture and all of them point to me. And Jesus is saying you're waiting for a day in the future. But I'm telling you the truth is that you've just been waiting for me and I'm here right now. And I'm ready to do something right now. Martha, will you believe? And during this conversation and the revelation of who Jesus was to Martha, Mary is still in the house of mourning with unbelievers. But Martha comes to her and he said, Mar Martha says to Mary, he said, Mary, Jesus is calling you. Jesus is calling you. Jesus is calling you. And Martha gets up and she goes quickly. And all the people who are there, the haters of God, the haters of Jesus, they stand with her and rush out with her. Because in her mourning, they thought she was going to mourn. They didn't know that she was going to Jesus. And so she shows up at Jesus and in her brokenness and in her confusion, in her disappointment, she falls at his feet and she says, Jesus, if you would have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And she starts weeping because everything she knew about him seemed to contradict what was happening. Jesus, I asked you, I asked you to heal him and you didn't come. And at that moment, it says that Jesus' heart was moved. And he looked at Mary and he looked at the people who were grieving and it says the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. In our moments of grief, we so don't want to be in them. We want to see the power of God. We want to see God's hand keep us from trouble. But it's in the moments of pain, it's in the moments of grief that God reveals his heart. Because everybody knew him to be a miracle worker and a wise teacher. But at that moment, all the unbelievers, Mary, Martha, all of them, saw him as more than just a powerful miracle maker. They saw him as a person who loved people and whose heart was moved when theirs was moved. And if you're going through grief, if you're going through disappointment, if you're going through a point in your life that you don't understand, I need you to know that God mourns with you. Jesus is weeping with you. In my story, I grew up in a Christian home. My dad was a pastor my whole life. I come from a family line that was crazy, like absolutely crazy. My grandmother was orphaned one day when her dad came in and shot her mom and shot himself while she sat there and held her baby brother. She was put in an orphanage. Her family came and got her, or came and got all of her siblings and left her in the orphanage. In the orphanage, my grandmother met my grandfather and they got married, they had my mom, but my grandmother became a believer and a follower of Jesus. And then my mom became a follower of Jesus. But just because you're a follower of Jesus and just because you proclaim to be a follower of Jesus doesn't mean that you're surrendered to Jesus. And my grandfather, who was one of the most profound Bible scholars, knew the Bible so well, he also held double-mindedness. And he was also a pedophile and a sexual exhibitionist. And my mom, as a teenager, had to be called to go and follow her dad around town. Her mom would say, go follow your dad and make sure he doesn't do anything stupid. My father's side of the, the family weren't believers. My grandfather never told my dad one time that he loved him until he was on his deathbed. My dad, when he was 16 or 17 years old, also witnessed a horrible event. His niece and sister were murdered, which pushed him into alcoholism, but he was delivered when my mom introduced him to Jesus. And so I grew up in this family of two followers of Jesus that come from broken past because Jesus could redeem anything. And so I come from this family, but get this, my dad goes into ministry. My dad goes into ministry, and while he's in ministry, he's serving the Lord, our family church plants, and we're doing amazing work for God. When I was 17 years old, I watched as my family broke apart. My dad moved out of the house, he left ministry, and he got more and more distant from my family and our lives. And I remember at that moment being so angry and I felt so betrayed and I felt so hurt because my dad, how, how could he move out? How can my parents split up? How could this happen to me? And it felt like my whole world was falling down around me and one night I was in the basement of my house and I was crying and I was weeping and I was broken and I was full of rage in my heart. 
And I heard the voice of God speak to me. And he said, Brandon, was this about me or was this about your dad? And it was the most clear voice I'd ever heard in my life. I knew without a doubt it was God. And it was so clear and so loud in my mind that with my words, I said this out loud. I said, what? That was literally my response. What? Out loud. I'm by myself and I'm talking. And the Lord says it again. He said, Brandon, was this about me or was this about your dad? And I knew what Jesus was saying. He was saying, Brandon, do you follow me because of your dad or do you follow me because of me? Brandon, have you given your life to me because of me or was it hinged on your dad because your dad's not here anymore and your family's broken apart and your world's falling down? But are you choosing to follow me? And at that moment, I said this with my voice out loud. I said, Jesus, you have won my heart. Jesus, even if my mom leaves and even if my dad leaves and even if my world falls down around me, you will always have my heart. I love you. And at that moment, I felt the presence of God wrap me up. It wrapped me up and God spoke. He said, Brandon, I've got you and you're not going anywhere. And young people, I'm here to tell you this today. God didn't restore my family. My parents are not back together. God didn't do that. But I'll tell you this, he restored my heart. And I'll tell you this, he brought healing and he brought restoration and he brought forgiveness. And a few years ago, a few years ago, I was at a, a school. I was preaching at a school in South Central and this young man, his name's Cameron, is in the stands. And I'm sharing my, I'm sharing my story about my dad and, uh, and uh, I'm telling him what happened. And he's this African-American young man that's gone through so much in his life. And he comes up and um, he tells somebody, he's like, man, I never knew that white dads leave too. And, and I realized that what was painful for me, Jesus never brought my family back together. But what was painful for me, God used it for his glory. And, and the thing that I needed in my life, at that moment, the thing I needed in my life it wasn't to, for God to restore my family. The thing I needed for my heart to come alive is to hear God say my name. And in the story of Mary, that's what happens. That Jesus comes and he calls her by name. And today I want you to know that wherever you are, whatever you've gone through that's been difficult, that hasn't made sense, God isn't done. And he's calling for you by name today. And Mary's response was that she went to him with expedience. And in the midst of a generation that runs away from God, I'm calling for this company to run to him. I'm calling for your life to never run away. But you are called to be with Jesus all the days of your life. And what happens in this story is that Jesus goes forward and he speaks out to a dead man and he says, Lazarus, come forth. And it says that the dead man starts walking out bound up in rags, his eyes covered with a cloth. And Jesus says, unbind him and let him go free. Let him walk. And it says that the people who once didn't believe in Jesus began to believe in him. And those same people were the ones that went and they began to testify about Jesus. The ones who wanted to kill him became the, the greatest evangelist for his name. And on Palm Sunday, many of you celebrate this where we wave palm branches at church. John says that the crowd was so large because the word of what Jesus had done through the resurrection had spread and people came to worship him. You see, Mary and Martha wanted a healing, but Jesus had planned a resurrection. And it led to his glory because people had seen healing. People had seen that happen, but people hadn't seen a man raised from the dead. But Jesus comes on the scene because Mary and Martha believed and they remained. They gave him a grounds of faith for him to move and bring healing and restoration and resurrection. And I'm telling you this right now, if you will remain, you will see the glory of God. While a generation is running from Jesus in offense, I charge you to remain. I charge you that you will remain. That you will see the glory of God in your life. That if, and I'm here to tell you. I'm here to tell you. 
that if it hasn't ended in good, Jesus isn't done. If it hasn't ended in life, Jesus isn't done. If it hasn't ended in glory, Jesus isn't done. Don't run from glory, but remain and see the work of the God in your life. And so we're walking with Jesus hand in hand. And we start looking back and forth between the wells and between him. And here's the thing that's so, so amazing about Jesus is we wonder, Jesus, how did those wells get there in the first place? Jesus put them there. The well of sexual pleasure and marriage is from God. Jesus could have made reproduction super weird. He could have been like on E.T. We're like glowing fingers, pregnant. He could have done that. But he didn't because he's a good God and he loves us. Financial provision is from God. But he never asked you to leave him to go after wealth. The dreams of God are gifts from God and they will only be fulfilled through God. So why would you leave God to go after the dream when he's the only one who can fulfill it? The dreams of God. The financial provision of God, the pleasures of God, he's the one that put them there. There's this guy in the Bible that he got it, man. His name was David. In Psalm 16, he says this. He said, Jesus, you make known. God, Jesus wasn't there back then, but he looked forward to the prophesied about Jesus. He says, you make known to me the pathway of life. In your presence, with you, hand in hand, is the fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And I'm here to tell you this today, that what you think you're missing out on, it's in the hand of God. That you're walking by these wells in life, and you're walking by sexual pleasure, and you're walking by financial provision, and you're walking by the dreams that God's given you, and you think that they're passing you by. But the truth is, is that all of them came from Jesus, and pleasures forevermore are in his right hand. And someday in your life, when you stay with Jesus, he'll simply say, now is the time. And another well will appear. And that's what happened in my life. I was walking with Jesus, not letting go. No matter how bad I wanted to go away, no matter how bad I was pulled, I remained with Jesus. And one day I looked over and I saw my wife on his other hand. I didn't have to run away from Jesus to fulfill the desire of my heart. He knows it. And he knows the desire of your heart. And in his timing and in his goodness, he will fulfill what he has promised to you. And so I'm calling for our generation today to escape the trap of distraction, to escape the trap of disappointment, to escape the trap of double-mindedness, and to go all in with Jesus. And the posture of surrender is a posture of power in the kingdom of God. Kim talked about this last night when she called us to surrender. In each of those three stories, the posture of Mary was kneeling at the feet of Jesus. She knelt with a desire to be with him more than anything else. She knelt anointing him with the best thing she had, all that she had, not being double-minded, pouring out everything. And she knelt anointing his feet with her tears in mourning. But in each instant, she ran to Jesus, and she poured out her life. And that's the posture of this generation that I'm calling to. While so many are making a stand in anger and are making a stand in rage and thinking that the place of power in this nation is with an iron fist and demanding and rejecting God and walking in humanism against the goodness of God. I'm calling for this generation to take the posture of surrender, the posture of submission, because that is the place of power in the kingdom of God. And right now, I want to give you a chance to respond tonight, or today, it's just dark, (laughs) this morning. That as I was speaking today, if the Holy Spirit was moving in your heart, that he was showing you that, man, you're trapped in distraction and you need freed. If you're saying you're trapped in disappointment and I'm calling your name today. And I I felt like the Lord wanted me to say one more thing. We never talked about Lazarus, the dead guy. You might not be disappointed, you might be dead on the inside that you say, Jesus, I'm just dead. I'm done with life. I want you to know that Jesus is a resurrecting God. 
And today when he speaks your name, it doesn't matter if you're disappointed or you're dead. When he speaks your name, he's calling you to himself. And he doesn't care if you're wrapped up in bondage. Come bound. It doesn't matter if you feel blind. Come blind. When you hear his voice, will you respond today? Or will you harden your heart? He's calling for you today. It doesn't matter if you're in grave clothes. You come and you follow his voice to freedom. And I'm going to give you a chance to respond to this. And for some of you, the Holy Spirit's highlighting areas of double-mindedness in your life. Like I said, you were designed by God to be wholehearted. And if you don't go wholehearted for Jesus, I promise you, you will not remain. Because you will gravitate towards wholeheartedness in one way or the other. You will. It will happen. Because that's your design. And some of you are double-minded. And the danger of double-mindedness is deception. Because one day you don't even realize that you start valuing other things more than Jesus. And you leave him to go after the other things that don't satisfy at all. And you don't even see it coming. And so I'm calling you to deal with double-mindedness in your life. To let go of the offenses. To let go of the fear of missing out on life. You guys, these wells are supposed to point you to life, not take you from life. They're road markers to point you to Jesus, not to take you from Jesus. So I'm gonna give you an opportunity to respond today right where you are. And I'm gonna encourage you to get in the posture of Mary that says that you get down on your knees. If it's in disappointment that you allow your tears to wet the feet of Jesus and you feel his arm wrapped around you saying, I've got you, you're not going anywhere. That you allow the God of the universe to weep with you and to comfort you and to show you that he's not finished with your life. If it's double-mindedness that you would get down and you would pour out, you'd say, Jesus, I take, I take this thing that's taking my affections from you and I pour it out at your feet. I give you back the dreams. I give you back the desires that aren't being fulfilled that are taking me from you. And I fix my face on you in distraction that today you would break up with every other thing that's taking you from the Lord. And you allow God to move in your heart. So if that's you today, I wanna encourage you to get real right with God and get real with God right now. To get on your knees right where you are. If it hurts to get on your knees, I know for me when I'm on my knees sometimes, I'm like, I'm about to die, it hurts. I encourage you to get in a posture of submission to Jesus and allow your voice to be heard before God. Allow him to bring to your attention things in your life that he's saying, give this to me. Don't let this take you away. And right now, know that Jesus is calling you by name. He wants to meet with you.